world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. I'm ready to get down. I am ready to get down. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom. Konnichiwa. Wendell Wallace here. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. A brand new day. A brand new time. A brand new period. How you feel? How you doing? How you looking? Looking good? Feeling good? Feeling fantastic? Doing everything that you need to do to make your world, to make your block a better place to be, to make your neighborhood a better place to be, to make your mate a better place to be, to make your children better people? Are you doing that? Are you doing what needs to be done? Positivity, unity, listening, learning, doing all those things? Sure hope that you are. I very much hope so that you are. Not for our generation, not for my generation, not for the generation before and after mine, but for the children's generation, your children's generation, your children's children's generation, so on and so forth. Making this world more tolerable, making this world more unified, making this world more diversified, more educated, and more tolerant to all different races, faces, and places. Wendell's World and Sports. So glad that you could be with us. This is going to be a condensed version today of Wendell's World of Sports. No, 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 no. I'm not going to be going three and a half hours. I'm not going to be going three hours or two and a half hours or two hours. This is going to be anywhere between, I don't know, man, about a half an hour to 45 minutes. Maybe go for an hour, maybe somewhere around there. But this is going to be one segment, one segment of what's happening with Wendell's World of Sports. The reason why I'm not going to be doing this or the reason why this is going to be a lot shorter than what I normally put down as far as recording for my podcast. I'm recording this on a Wednesday afternoon is because in about 10 hours, I'm going to be hopping on a big bird known as an airplane, and I'm going to be flying across country to uh, see my family, see my uh, goddaughter, see my closer than brother, Mikel Davis, over in uh, Maryland. So my casa here, my town home in northwest Las Vegas, will be unoccupied for the remainder of this week coming back on Sunday night. But for any of you knuckleheads who want to try to jump into my place and want to try to steal anything that I've got, remember, I've got a boatload of alligators and crocodiles. I've also got a, like a really nice snake pit with uh, cobras and vipers and gaboon vipers and everything like that. So if you're looking to go ahead and try to take anything, which I have nothing in my place, you have been warned. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. As I mentioned before, I'm just going to go, man. Normally, when I do a podcast, I go ahead, I do my research, I do my thought process, I figure out which is the best take to have, I go ahead and, you know, go on social media and see what people are talking about and see the comments on the different topics that I want to talk about, Google some things that I want to talk about, check out some of the thoughts and ideas that I have about what I want to talk about, check out, fact check. Do a little background 
research and homework on some of the thoughts and opinions that I have to make sure that I'm not way off base when I'm talking about some of the things that I propose or some of the things that I perceive, some of the things, my thoughts and opinions about stuff. So it takes a uh, arduous amount of time for me to go ahead and do those things. So, you know, the fact that, man, I'm going on vacation, man. I'm going to go back home to see my mom, who I haven't seen in almost two years, see my goddaughter, the most beautiful, wonderful, fantastic human being under the age of 52. I haven't seen her in two years. See my brother, who I haven't seen in two years, haven't been back home, haven't been back east. Um, so it's like, you know, as of right now, the the work that I needed to put in to uh, get everything rip-roaring and ready to go to do a podcast up to my standards to be, you know, something that... Um, would be two and a half, three hours on my one of my normal podcasts. Just wasn't feeling it. And the fact that we got all these NBA playoff games going on right now, the narrative changes. So, you know, the fact that I could be talking about something, I, I wanted to initially talk about the four games that had been played. But, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, everything came up, I had to get my stuff ready to go back east. And uh, the games have been, uh, you know, entertaining, fantastic. Last night's game was fantastic. So, you know, it's prevented me from preparing to do a podcast in the way I normally do it. So um, today I'm just going to go ahead and just just do my thing, man. Go back old school, do, do it the way that I used to do it uh, back when I first started doing radio broadcasting, that type of thing, and just uh, give you my thoughts and opinions about what's happening in the world of sports. Not with the indefiniteness that I do with my normal podcasting, but... Uh, give you my thoughts and feelings about things because there's some stuff where the expiration date won't last until next week. So all of that stuff, man. So it's not going to be any type of a format. It's not going to have any type of direction. I'm going to be bouncing all over the place. Not going to be talking about the NFL. Some other topics that I wanted to talk about, I'm going to save. Not talking about my Georgetown Hoyas. Not talking about some things that I saw as far as college athletics and sports are concerned. I'm going to save that for another time down the road this summer, talking about uh, things on my podcast. So today, as I mentioned before, I'm going to be quickly in and out. That's what she said. Quickly going to be in and out and uh, get to everything that I want to uh, get to. The news here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. The news that uh, was really, I guess you could say, uh, shocking a tad, not, uh, shoot, I don't know if shocking is the right word, a little bit surprised, and when you think about it a little bit more, it's like, yeah, I could kind of see that coming, the fact that you take into account the man's age and his accomplishments and how long he's been doing the thing, once you uh, get past the initial, he's been such a staple of the sport that he's in and kind of step back and take a broader, take a deeper look into the decision that he made. It's like, okay, I can go ahead and uh, see where he's coming from, especially when you're speaking about the way uh, the sport is going. I'm speaking about uh, coach Mike Krzyzewski, coach K, the Duke Blue Devils basketball head coach, one of the greatest coaches in college sports, in sports, in basketball history, announcing that after this season, the 2021-22 season, that he will be stepping down, 74 years old, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest who's ever done it, um, been doing it for Duke, been doing it at Duke for a long, long time. Um, outside of the competition itself, he really has nothing left to prove. And uh, I think we're seeing a trend here with him. Excuse me, I'm going to get up and walk around while I go ahead and record this. Ah, thank you. Oh, I can't wait to lose some weight this summer. Not some weight, a lot of weight. When you're speaking about Krzyzewski, 
and you're speaking about him leaving, and you're speaking about him retiring, I can see it, and people are speaking about, people are going to be talking about the scuttlebutt is going to be around about exactly why now the time that he decided to uh, walk away from the game, the game that even at the age of 74, he's still, you know, one of the more dominant, he still has one of the more dominant programs in college basketball, despite the fact that they had a subpar year for any basketball program this season at Duke. So why is 74? This is a situation where, you know, um, because of last season that he's going to go ahead and, you know, get out while the going's good, you know, before the, you know, get out of there before the total collapse of his uh, of his program? Did he learn from iconic figures like Joe Paterno or um, Bobby Bowden and such who stayed on a little bit too long? Did he maybe see something like Bear Bryant where it was a situation where he invested so much into what he was doing that afterwards he really didn't know what he was going to do? One month after Bear Bryant retired from Alabama as their head football coach, he died. That was it. Yeah, that, that was over. Now, in the last couple of years of his reign with the Crimson Tide, he was having health problems. But what, um, what uh, you know, fast-forwarded his ultimate demise with the fact that he was so lost without the game that he loved and dominated and was so synonymous with that uh, afterwards, I guess, you know, the, the, the strain and the stress of what the hell am I going to do next finally got the best of him, coupled with all the other health problems that Coach Bryant had. When you're speaking about Mike Krzyzewski, who at 74 still looks damn good. And the fact that he still looks spry, healthy enough. I know that he had uh, back issues um, years and years ago. But um, for the most part, he really hasn't had any type of debilitating health issues or health problems that's going to prevent him, even at the age of 74, 75, that he might want to venture into other things that are important to his life, spending more time with his grandkids, uh, being um, one of the members of the V Foundation in terms of cancer research. I think that he has other things going on. He can consult with um, USA Basketball. There's other irons in the fire that he can go to to light his passion and his energy to want to get up in the morning and, and, and do something. You ask most senior citizens, you know, what they're most afraid of when they get to the advanced age, it's like, you know, hey, man, just, I mean, you know, I know eventually I'm going to die. You now, when you hit the when you hit that age, I, I realize that, you know, I don't have 35 or 40 or 50 more years to go. And at that stage in my life, you know, most of the things that I want to do, I've done. Children, marriage, all those things, grandkids, this, any other working, the goals and expectations and dreams that I fulfilled working and all those type of things. I mean, that's all now solidified. That's uh, that's cool. That's great. But what most old people, most senior citizens say that the one thing that scares them is the fact that, okay, when I retire, when I'm physically unable to do what I want to do, exactly what am I going to do? What exactly am I going to do? And was Krzyzewski stopping at 74? The first question is, well, what am I going to do? Because if I don't have anything to do, what exactly am I living for? So um, as I mentioned before, not only does he have his grandkids, not only does he have his work with the V Foundation, not only does he have ties to USA Basketball, not only because he is Mike Krzyzewski if he wants to, you know, do some some work as far as television is concerned, his association with Duke University, if he wants to, you know, teach a class at the university on leadership or something like that, maybe once a week or something like that, he still has that option. 
Uh, he has a podcast that he can do also. So there's a lot of things because he is Mike Krzyzewski, because he has been so successful and because he's still in demand that there's other things that he can do. So I think at the age of 74, everything that he's accomplished in college basketball, I think that for him, it was the, it's, it's, uh, the great opportunity for him to, uh, go ahead after the, uh, end of next year and start, uh, planning the, the twilight of his life in terms of what he wants to do. But also at 74 years old and the fact that coach Krzyzewski made his name, made his bones, made his legend, made his reputation, made his hall of fame career in such a different era than it is right now. If you take a look at the landscape of college basketball, along with college football and just college sports in general, and the way that the, the way that the landscape is looking for college basketball, for college athletics, where you have, you know, parents, guardians, pimps, children, making these decisions to where if I'm not getting enough playing time, if I'm not being featured enough, if my draft pick is being hampered, if my potential to be drafted in the NFL or the NBA is being hampered because of the system that I'm playing in, because the coach and the opportunities that he's not giving me, because he's not putting me in the best position to highlight and showcase my talents to, uh, maximize my opportunities to make the most money as possible at the beginning of my career, either as a professional basketball or football player or whatever type of player. Because of that, I'm going to go ahead and transfer, move somewhere else, go somewhere else. And because of these new rules, I have the opportunity to go to a school without sitting out of a sitting out a year. And basically the coach no longer has any type of say, any type of sway, any type of power in terms of where I want to go. This is a situation where if I'm in the Big Ten and if I'm playing in Minnesota and if I want to go to Illinois, a coach can't say, well, you know, because of competitive nature or because of this, that, and the other, I forbid you to go there. We're not going to release you from your scholarship if you're going to be going to these certain type of players uh, places. Ask uh, Bo Ryan about that situation. Ask Nick Saban about that situation where they, those were examples of coaches who tried to um, dictate where a player could and could not play who left their program. Now, it's the wild, wild west. And when you think about that, and when you see where it's going on, Coach Krzyzewski, along with guys like Roy Williams, who just recently retired, and other of these, others of these old school, other generation, Hall of Fame, great coaches, who built their programs to being national powers based on relationships, based on years of growth, not only as basketball players, but also as men. Guys who would stay in college for four, three, at the very least, two years. The dilemma of one and done, that was really never that big of a deal. You see these coaches nowadays like Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski at the age that they're going in right now, that the age that they are, that they are right now, they're not interested in some of the nonsense that's going on. And college basketball, just like college football, and I guess in some states and in some institutions and in some regions and some universities, some other parts of the country, if we're talking about the uh, baseball team, we're talking about the softball team, if we're talking about the lacrosse team, if we're talking about the wrestling team, whatever squad, whatever uh, athletic at that college is the most popular. These coaches, man, I mean, not only do they have to go ahead and worry about 
bringing in the next wave of players from high school who can continue the tradition of excellence for their program. But then as soon as they get on campus, as soon as they get on campus after years and years of going ahead and trying to uh, recruit these guys, sometimes as early as eighth grade, now as soon as you get themselves, as soon as they get on campus, you have to re-recruit them to make sure that they're happy, to make sure that they're content, to make sure that they understand their role and make sure why the role that they're being put in is going to be advantageous for them, why they're not forgetting about them, why they're not uh, uh, taking their eye off what your wants and needs are as a basketball player as soon as that happens. So these coaches, not only do they have to, again, continue to bring in recruits, they also have to then re-recruit the recruits that they re-recruited. And also you have to fend off other schools who are coming to say, hey, you know what? That five-star recruit that's going to North Carolina right now, who we thought was a one-and-done, but he's only getting 16 minutes a game because, oops, he was um, not uh, projected or he's not turning out the way that they thought he would when he came into college after his high school career. We can go ahead and we can start getting into his ear. We can go ahead and we can call a high school coach. We can go ahead and call some of our contacts. We can go ahead and see what we can do. We can go ahead and try to get one of his players that he played with on the AAU team or a summer AAU team or played in high school or one of the rivals in his uh, high school uh, uh, district that we can go ahead, give him a call. These kids are all on Facebook. These kids are all on social media. So we can kind of get them to say, hey, you know what, man? I see that you're sitting on the bench and you're not getting any playing time. Man, if you come here, not only will you not have to sit out a year, shoot, there's a starting position where you can be averaging 35 minutes and 15 shots per game waiting right for you. I mean, you're winning. That's fantastic. Great. North Carolina's winning. Duke is winning. Kentucky's winning. All these teams are winning. Great. Fantastic. What are you contributing to the team? You're sitting over there getting seven, eight minutes a game. You were a four-star recruit, man. You had 50, 60 colleges. You had every school in the Power Five, Power Six conferences after your ass. And you go to this school and this coach is going to be having you sit on a bench. You know that you're better than the guy that's playing before you anyway. You were projected by some analysis, by some uh, recruiting uh, gurus to be a guy that was going to be a one-and-done player. Your dream was to play in the NBA, right? How the hell are you going to be playing in the NBA if you're only playing eight minutes a game? How the hell are you going to be playing in the NBA when the coach doesn't understand what's going on with you? How in the world can you get yourself into the NBA as quickly as possible if you're going to be sacrificing the first two years of your collegiate uh, uh, time at that school? Oh, and by the way, forgot to tell you, you know that the five-star recruit that's only a class... Uh, below you, you know they're going after him, right? Right? You know that you're being recruited over again, right? So there's no guarantee that if you stick it out for that one year and you come back for your sophomore year, there's no guarantee that you're going to have your minutes increased or have your roles increased or have your opportunity increased because guess what? That school's recruiting a five-star right now who's going to come in and take your place and take your minutes and take your opportunity. So come on, man. You need to come to our school, man. You need to come and do this, that, and the other. That's what these coaches have to deal with every single flipping day. And you know who's just as gullible at the kids, at the student athletes to believe that stuff? It's the parents. It's the guardians. It's the adults who they feel have the best interest for their child or for their youngster or for the person that they're assigned to, the, uh, the child that they're assigned to, the teenager that they're assigned to, the minor that they're assigned to. Shit, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm a little biased about this, but um, the but the mentor 
or the person who was uh, in charge for Judas Waham, who played two years at Georgetown, who was uh, getting everything he wanted in terms of paint touches, in terms of opportunities, in terms of minutes played, in terms of being coached by one of the greatest big men who ever played in this generation. A guy who spent 18 years in the NBA, then 15 years in the system. One of the best big men along with David Robinson and Hakeem Olajuwon and such. Georgetown Patrick Ewing took Cutis Wahab, a guy who was ranked as a three and a half, four star recruit, ranked in the 90s out of Flint Hill, was still raw, still learning the game of basketball, had no instincts toward the game of basketball from Lagos, Nigeria. He sat on the bench, averaged six points his freshman year, but then he got into his uh, sophomore year, averaged almost 13 points, seven rebounds. He was a paint toucher. Ewing rode him hard, you rode him very hard, but. I tell you one thing, despite all his limitations, despite all the things that he couldn't do, Ewing put him in the best position to do what he could do, to accentuate his strengths of being a basketball player. And he was going to be the cornerstone. He was going to be the foundation, him and Dante Harris, for Georgetown moving forward. But his pimp, but his guardian, uh, uh, Simmons Duvall, I don't even want to say his name, was sitting there talking about, well, you know, because Georgetown wasn't winning enough, Cutis wasn't getting the notoriety. Cutis wasn't getting the respect that he deserved. So because of that, despite the fact that Ewing did everything humanly possible in post-games, uh, uh, press conferences, he talked about how great Cutis has been. He talked about, you know, this guy has an opportunity to be one of the best, if not the best big men who ever played at Georgetown University, despite the fact that he got every single touch, despite the fact of his limitations, that he was the, he was the, the foundation for the offense that Georgetown ran, despite all of that, because his pimp, because of his guardian, deciding that, uh, you know what, because uh, Georgetown wasn't winning enough, Cutis is not getting the response, or he's not getting the notoriety that, that he deserves. He's going to transfer. He's going to transfer over to Maryland. Hey, let me tell that jackass something. That The guardian, thanks for ruining the kid's uh, college years, you fucking idiot. Do you think he's going to get the same opportunities at Maryland that he does at Georgetown? That he did at Georgetown? you think he's going to be the center of the attention at Maryland that he did at Georgetown? Fuck no. But that's the type of bullshit that these coaches have to deal with nowadays. You have someone like a Mac McClung who, I don't know, played two years at Georgetown then, went to the NBA draft or decided to uh, test the NBA waters Found out that, oh yeah, I forgot, you know, a guy who can't shoot and a guy who can't defend anybody at 6'2 and plays the, sh the shooting guard might need to uh, go back to school and try to do some things. Well, he felt that Georgetown wanted the opportunity to try to play point guard, so he was going to transfer somewhere else. Two years. Going into his junior year, he was going to be the man for Georgetown. This guy had a chance to become all Big East or second team all Big East. He decided because... He thought that his chances of playing point guard were diminished because of Ewing's decision to bring in Jalen Harris. He was going to go somewhere else and play. play. So he transferred to Texas Tech. And guess what he did? Played the same damn way at Texas Tech that he did at Georgetown. The same damn way. He didn't play that much point guard, and he didn't play that much defense, and he still couldn't shoot at a um, decent enough level. But he went back to the um, NBA draft waters again, and this time he's staying in. Coaches don't feel like dealing with that bullshit anymore. Coaches from Krzyzewski's era don't feel like dealing with that bullshit anymore. And again, it's not so much the players itself. 
Where are the players getting these grandiose ideas of how good they are as players, how great they are as players? They didn't get it from their peers, for the most part. The stuff that sticks with them in terms of how great they are, no matter how ludicrous it sounds, is coming from adults, coming from um, uh, parents and such. So Krzyzewski's tired of that bullshit. Roy Williams is tired of that bullshit, and I don't blame him. I really don't blame him. So with Krzyzewski retiring at 74, yeah, I see it. Yeah, and I understand it. And if you're going to ask me why, I don't know the exact reason because I'm not in Coach K's inner circle and he didn't come to me for consultation and we didn't have the conversation or the discussion. So I can't tell you the 100%, you know, locking in reason why Coach K, Coach Krzyzewski is retiring after this next season. My only guesstimation is it has a lot, not maybe the only thing, but I think it's a lot to do with the way college athletics are going right now. The fact that, you know what, now you're going to be having a situation where when you go on these, uh, when you have a kid in, when you have a, uh, a, a athlete perspective uh, athlete come on your campus for a campus, campus visit, you're going to also have to uh, educate him. You're also going to have to talk to him and sell him on the fact that, hey, you know what? If you play basketball for our team, you'll also get other uh, opportunities outside of the court to uh, do some things. You know, you'll also have financial opportunities to do some things if you come to our school. You know, on the campus visits, on these college visits that these recruits take, you take them to the campus and you show them the school and you ask them, you know, what classes you're interested in, you maybe sit in on the campus, you have some fun during the weekend. That used to be the way that you would do things. And then maybe you throw in some hookers and some strippers and everything and throw some, or some skanks, uh, female co-eds who are skanks who want to uh, say hello to the prospective football or lacrosse or basketball player, those type of things. But now you also have to include the opportunity of saying, do we bring in some business guys? Do we bring in some of the local business guys to uh, also have a meeting with them along with the folks in the chemistry department, along with folks from the business finance department, as much as we talk about how wonderful the communication uh, uh, classes are and how much it means to get themselves a degree and how much uh, how much it would mean for a, a player to get a degree from the school in the particular area of interest that they're in. We also have to bring in the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, look, this business, that business, these businesses, I mean, they're already interested in you in terms of seeing what we could do to make you, to have you make a little bit of money. So I think with Krzyzewski, he's like, you know what, man? I'm done. I'm good. John Shire is going to be the next head coach for Duke, and it'll be interesting to see the way things are going with that. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A, I guess you could say, a modified version of, of Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. Just uh, one segment today. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, say what I need to say about what's happening in the world of sports. Then uh, me, myself, and I have to get ready because we're getting out of here because me, myself, and I are getting on a plane in about, oh, I'd say about nine, ten hours, and we're going back home to the East Coast, the Beast Coast, the Best Coast, not the West Coast, to uh, see my mom, see some other family members, and uh, take advantage of the fact that it's going to be raining and 75 degrees while 
The next couple of days out here is going to be 106 flipping degrees. 106 flipping degrees. Normally, we don't get that shit out here in Vegas until somewhere around July. Already, the first couple of days of June is already going to be hitting 106. Yeah, time for me to go back east and uh, enjoy some of that heat and humidity, which is much better when you're speaking about June 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, the temperature in Las Vegas ranging around 104, 5, 6 degrees. Yikes. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Now getting to the NBA playoffs, the shakeup, the destruction, the, I I don't even know what to call it, but the Boston Celtics are going to be going through some changes. The Boston Celtics are changing New um, president of basketball operations, Danny Ainge, stepping down. Brad Stevens will be replacing him. Brad Stevens will no longer be the coach. I was always that guy who was like, man, you know, when, especially when we're speaking about this season, when is the seat going to start getting a little bit hot for Brad Stevens? When when are people going to start questioning what the hell is going on with Brad Stevens as far as being the coach for the Boston Celtics. When he came in at 36, eight years ago, man, I mean, this was a guy who just bolted in terms of how great he could be as a coach. I mean, this guy was was being pegged as the great Popovich of his generation in terms of this guy's going to be winning a lot of games and championships, and he's going to be coaching a long time at 36 years old and playing for such a solid franchise like the Boston Celtics, a historical franchise like the Boston Celtics. I mean, Stevens had the opportunity to, what, if he's coming in at 36 and he coaches 25 years, well, he's only going to be 61 years old. I mean, that's going to put him at the timeline of he can go another six, seven years after that. So Stevens, with his success, especially after three to four years of struggling with the Celtics, Jason Tatum and everything came around and made it to the conference finals where they lost in seven games to the my uh to the um Cleveland Cavaliers, the team that had LeBron and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson and such. And that team that uh, had Kyrie Irving on it, but he was out for those playoffs with a knee injury, but yet and still the Celtics still made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and played a tough game, seven, losing to the Cavaliers at home. Jeff Green playing a big time game during that game at that point in time and I don't know the exact point in time these years and days kind of uh, mixed together especially with COVID fucking up everything but whenever that period in time happened that's when Brad Stevens was at his apex little bit did we know in terms of coaching in the NBA and if we want to say his first go around with Stevens who's only 44 we can go ahead and say that but It was interesting to know that in the career of Brad Stevens, his first time around coaching the Boston Celtics, that at that moment, the Game 7 loss to Cleveland at home in the Eastern Conference Finals, that would be the high point of his career. Stevens would never reach those types of height of of, uh, success or glorification or deification or whatever type of vacation you want to uh, throw out there as far as being great is concerned. That was the highest for Brad Stevens. After that, hey man, everything kind of went downhill in a very slow way, but from going toward but from going from 
being basically five minutes away from going to the NBA championship to where he is now talking about, you know, it's time for me to move on and do something else as far as the game of basketball for the Boston Celtics is concerned. I don't think too many people saw that. I think if you would have checked back three or four years ago that you would have probably speculated that the Celtics would be winning three or four championships by now, or at least they would have been in the finals two to three to four years, especially with LeBron. If you knew that LeBron was going to leave Cleveland and go back to the West, leaving the Western Conference wide open, you would think that at the time, a team that had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and all those guys, that they would be the team that would replace Cleveland at the perennial contenders for the NBA championship, the best contenders for the NBA championship from the Eastern Conference, but Kyrie Irving messed up all of those deals. And the steal of the century that many people called when Ainge fleeced Billy King and the Brooklyn Nets, sending a washed-up, over-the-hill, way-past-expiration-date duo of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for a boatload of uh, first-round draft picks that you would have thought that, man, this was going to be the key. This was going to be the Herschel Walker, Dallas Cowboys, Minnesota Viking type of deal to where it propelled the Dallas Cowboys and Jimmy Johnson to a mini dynasty. That's what you thought was going to be the, uh, that was going to be equal to what happened in the NBA, that because of Mikhail Prokhorov's uh, desire to win himself a championship as as quickly as possible that he instructed Billy King under any means necessary to go get two guys that were way past their prime through a boatload of draft picks. So not only did the Celtics have the versatility and have the ability to either build their championship through the draft, they also had these bevy of picks that they received from Brooklyn, that they received from the Memphis Grizzlies, that they could continue to stockpile great players or get those draft picks in a package for a superstar, a disgruntled superstar. And during that time, what the Celtics were rumored to be going after uh, Jimmy Butler from Minnesota. They were rumored to be going after Anthony Davis when he wanted out of New Orleans. They were rumored to be going after a a boatload of people. And Danny Ainge decided that, you know what, we're going to go ahead and we're going to put those glorious, valuable first round chips into the pot, into the middle of the table, and we're going to acquire Kyrie Irving from the Cleveland Cavaliers, who at that time were disgruntled and said that, you know what, I want out because I want to be able to run my own team. I'm tired of being in the shadows of LeBron James, even if we're going to NBA championships and one time winning an NBA championships championship. I don't care. I want to go ahead and run my own team. So, okay, he went to Boston. Danny Ainge t- traded those valuable chips for Kyrie Irving. And that lasted two years, two years of disappointment, two years of not meeting expectations or goals from Kyrie Irving to Boston Celtics standpoint. He then bolted for nothing at the end of that contract when he could exercise out of his contract and went over to Brooklyn, recruited uh, Kevin Durant, who finished up his stint winning a couple of championships with the Golden State Warriors. He came over to uh, Brooklyn, had a torn Achilles, but... That that duo of Irving and Kevin Durant was the foundation for them to then bring in a James Harden when he became disgruntled this season. And we see where the Brooklyn Nets are, and we see 
the team that finally put the final nail in the coffin of uh, Danny Ainge's reign as president of basketball operations, a very successful reign of being the president of basketball operations, but none to yet uh, the final nail. And that was Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. The end of the Brad Stevens coaching era was finally laid to bear and was finally done in and finally taken off life support by who? Kyrie Irving. So for Boston Celtics fans, man, it's got to sting with the stingingness of a stinger stinger, a stinger splash. So there you go with that, man. So there is speculation that Jason Kidd, Lloyd Pierce, and some others are going to be at the top of the list in terms of uh, candidates for the Boston Celtics job. Jason Tatum tweeted that assistant coach Evan Turner could be a guy that he would want to see at the head coach of the Celtics. This is a um, fabulous position in the NBA. Now, I don't know if Stevens is going to be able to have the type of success that Danny Ainge had over a long period of time in that uh, position. Stevens has had no experience at all uh, dealing with front office matters, but, um, you know, we'll see. We will see, but um, the second round of the playoffs here, as I'm speaking about it on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Man, Brooklyn versus Milwaukee, that's going to be fantastic. Uh, Milwaukee putting the final blow, putting the death blow for the season of the Miami Heat, proving that, you know what, the um, they weren't scared, they weren't running away, they weren't trying to avoid what could be their personal boogeyman. Uh, for what the Miami Heat did last season in the bubble where they beat Milwaukee 4-1, where the whole speculation was if the Bucks underachieve in the playoff that Giannis is going to be going to Miami, Giannis is going to be going to uh, Dallas and such. But uh, they vanquished that demon. They vanquished those bad memories by just beating the shit out of the uh, Miami Heat and putting them out of, putting them out of their misery at the end of game four. So the Miami Heat had their questions on whether what they want to do, what they want to do with Duncan Robinson, what they want to do with Jimmy Butler, what they're going to be doing with Tyler Hero. Um, was the season, the bubble season, the end or the restart of the season from last year and what the Miami Heat did? Was, was that a fluke? Was that something where, you know, maybe... They were playing with fool's gold and any type of expectations this season to get anywhere near to where they were at the end of the last season would have been uh, an unrealistic pipe dream. Uh, everything set great for the Heat while they were in the bubble. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't go anywhere. There were no distractions. All they could do was just work, 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 work on their craft and work on basketball in a... <laughs> And an isolated, segregated type of uh, situation where they couldn't go out, they couldn't go anywhere, they couldn't do anything for Miami Heat and for Eric Spolstra and the Miami Heat culture that fit them to a T. Once they were away from that environment and got back to normal, civilized living, uh, we still we saw what happened. Now look. The Heat went to the NBA Finals, so along with the Los Angeles Lakers, they had the shortest turnaround in terms of getting ready for next season, for the season that uh, just happened. They were dealing with COVID issues. They were dealing with injury issues. They were doing dealing with all of those things. So, yeah, there were some things that came into play, but, you know, for Miami, disappointing end to a somewhat uneven season. And 
You saw for Milwaukee the presence of Drew Holiday, the major upgrade of Drew Holiday at the point guard position, not only from an offensive standpoint, but also from a defensive standpoint, standpoint shows you that uh, Milwaukee, man, they're ready to rip, roar, and, run, and rumble. And it could be a situation where we're speaking about the Eastern Conference semifinals where we could be looking at the champion of the Eastern Conference going into what would be a wide-open Western Conference, a champion that would be coming out of a wide-open Western Conference, especially if the Los Angeles Lakers lose. Man, I've got so much to talk about. Let me just kind of go ahead and do my thing. Damn, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Joel Embiid missing Game 5. Ben Simmons can't consistently hit free throws. Still, if we're speaking about a hampered, hindered, Joel Embiid moving forward, and I'm not even speaking about to play the winner of the Hawks in the Knicks, because even if Embiid is not at the top of his game, I still think that the 76ers are better than both the Hawks and the Knicks, who participated in a couple of rock fights uh, throughout the series. But moving forward now, with the 76ers, if Embiid is going to be hindered, what does that mean when they go up against the winner of the Brooklyn Nets-Milwaukee Bucks series? The one thing I kept saying for people who were speaking about how can the Nets lose, how can the Nets lose when they have such firepower like Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving, the biggest, the biggest giant or the most dominant player in the playoffs, I'm, yeah, right, I'm even going to say playoffs, is a healthy, motivated, focused, angry Joel Embiid. And if Joel Embiid was as healthy as healthy can get, at this period of time of the season and with Embiid's health, hist uh, health hist uh, history, he's not going to be 100%. But if he could be in, as far as health-wise is concerned, the best predicament of his life concerning that, and he's going to be going up against the Brooklyn Nets, name me from anybody from Brooklyn that's going to stop him if Embiid is going to say, you know what, I'm going to dominate. I'm going to average 35 and 18 a game. 35 points, 18 rebounds, three block shots a game, and completely shut down the um, completely shut down the uh, the rim. I'm going to be a major rim protector. If Joel had that mindset, if it, and if Joel was in the physical health that he could carry out on that mindset that he would have to dominate, who on Brooklyn is going to stop him? Who on Brooklyn is going to slow him down? Who on Milwaukee is going to slow him down. And sure as hell ain't going to be Brooke Lopez. It ain't going to be Bobby Portis. It ain't going to be Giannis Adenikupo. And when you go to the Nets, it sure ain't going to be Blake Griffin. It sure ain't going to be DeAndre Jordan. Damn sure ain't going to be Jeff Green. It sure ain't going to be Claxton. So who in the hell was going to be able to contain, slow down, minimize the damage, the destruction that Joel Embiid was going to do if... He didn't have that knee injury that he suffered against the Washington Wizards. How devastating is it? How bad is it? Is it something to wear by the time if the 76ers make it to the Eastern Conference Finals that he would be ready to uh, dominate against the winner of the uh, Nets and the Bucks? We will see. We will see. But he's so important, especially as I mentioned before. Ben Simmons, if you're going to continue to be iffy-iffy, um, shooting free throws, then the loss of Embiid is going to linger and hurt even longer and have damaging effects long past 
them having to play another game against my Washington Wizards. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Memphis, um, Memphis, Utah, that's soon, that soon is going to be over. Dallas and the Clippers. Man, you know what? I, I want to apologize for Ty Lue. I want to apologize to Ty Lue and all those guys. I, I thought that I had a podcast. If you would have listened to my last podcast, I was up there talking about, yeah, man, you know, this is going to be a situation where, uh, huh, yeah, the uh, what's going to be happening? I had the conversation. What's going to be happening if the Mavericks come back home and win their games, their two games against the Clippers, which means that the Clippers season would be over and they would be swept for nothing, which would then extend their losing streak to, what, seven games or some nonsense like that? What direction would the Los Angeles Clippers be going? Now, I'm not saying that this series is over just yet, despite the injury to Luka Doncic. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Clippers came out and lost game five. But they shouldn't. Kawhi has been awesome. Paul George, give the man credit where credit is due, has been awesome. The bench play has been awesome. Reggie Jackson has been much better than I thought. Rondo has become playoff Rondo again, and that's nothing more than a uh, positive for the Los Angeles Clippers. They played great. After being down 32-11, I was just watching that game, and it's like, Tyron Lue, why are you having... Zubac in the game. They're just, they're just, uh, you know, hunting him out. And Dante just, just shoot, shooting step back threes. Flap, flap, flap. Next thing you do it with 30 to 11. Now, one part told me that, well, you know, there's no way that, uh, because those shots that Dante were making were contested, but it's like, okay, now we, this shooting percentage or this, the, the way that Dallas is shooting the ball, this can't last forever. But, they were down 32-11. What was going to be the plight? What was going to be the uh, mindset of the Los Angeles Clippers? But their defense tightened up. Uh, Morris, one of the Morris twins came in and did, and did great. And in game four, you could see a compromised Luka Dantich to the T, the way that he was moving out there. Don't know if it can get any better. Don't know in terms of the nerve, nerve damage or anything that he's uh, dealing with right now will get any better to him to him to get to the level of play that he was in games one and two of this series. But on paper, the Mavericks aren't a better team than the Los Angeles Clippers. They can't play any defense. They rely on Luka too much. And for the Clippers, I mean, you have Paul George, you have Kawhi Leonard, you have a championship coach in uh, Ty Lue, even though you have one on the Dallas Mavericks sideline with Rick Carlisle. But, I mean, this should be a six-game series even before the series started between the Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. If the Clippers go ahead and win this series in six games, yeah, it'll be, I told you so, with a little bit of a twist in there because no one would have thought that the um, Clippers could come back and win the series after being down 0-2 in the way they started games got game number three wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us the rock fight known as the atlanta hawks and the new york knicks continues you see clint capella talking some shit about they're not uh that tough and all this kind of stuff and this that and the other all right whatever man that's that's cool that's great whatever uh rocks your boat man you know i, I don't know i mean for those who sit there and go ooh bulletin board material isn't being down three to one bulletin board material enough I mean, if you're the 
if you're the New York Knicks, that's going to be able to fire you up. Like somehow, some way you needed that to get yourself rip roaring, ready to go. If that's the case, man, I don't think you guys have a shot of winning. <laughs> you know, I'm Julius Randle has not been the regular season. Julius Randle, uh, most improved. Yeah, that's great. But Julius Randle has never been in this situation with the responsibility that he has as the uh, main focal point of the team for a team that's in the playoffs. And uh, Trey Young, as I mentioned before, man, part of the younger generation of these guys that are coming in and doing great work. I like Atlanta. Uh, Nate McMillan, the coach of the Hawks, he's trying to exercise and demons himself after first-round flameouts as the coach of Indiana. So I don't think that the Pacers are going to, excuse me, I don't think that the Hawks are going to win Game five, but I think they wrap things up in game six. I think that the ground garden crowd is going to be nuts. Let's just hope that uh, we can have the fans not spin on anybody. It would be a great start for us to uh, go ahead and get that out of the way. But um, I think that when everything is all said and done, I think that the uh, Atlanta Hawks are going to move on. But I think that the Knicks are going to give a spirited, spirited performance tonight with their home crowd cheering them on. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Uh, condensed version today, going to be out of here soon concerning this. I just want to just r- roll through this, get it down, get it going, headed back to the East Coast, the Beast Coast, the Best Coast, heading back to uh, Silver Spring, Maryland to see my mom, see my family, and all those type of things. So that's the reason why I'm keeping this podcast short and different than what I was doing from other times. So Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. I'll get to LeBron in a minute. I I, I want to get to the Kyrie Irving uh, getting thrown, uh, having a water bottle thrown at him. And we hear these fucking idiots talk about, well, you know, he deserved it or, you know, he egged them on or while this shouldn't have happened, it happened to him. You know, he was classless. He was wrong because he stomped on the logo. Give me a fucking break. So, so someone has the right to throw something at him because he stepped and stomped on the logo or don't be surprised or Kyrie shouldn't have been upset or surprised that someone threw something at him because he upset and incensed the crowd when he stepped on the logo. Give me a fucking break, man. That's where we are as a society. Now we're going to use that as an applicable reason for someone to throw a water bottle at somebody, at an athlete, because he stepped on a fucking logo? What the fuck are we talking about here? How fucking stupid are we here? Are you serious? You know the only person who would have the right to throw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving for stepping on the logo? His name is Bill fucking Russell. Because the only reason why that franchise isn't worth anything or means anything or is an iconic franchise or even is thought about in those terms is because Bill Russell won 11 championships in 13 fucking years. Bill Russell and then way down the line Larry Bird. Those are the only two people who would have the right if they wanted to to throw something at Kyrie Irving for stepping on the logo right then because the franchise, that logo, the meaning, the value of it was built by Bill Russell and added on a little bit more by Larry Bird. 
So if Bill Russell and Larry Burning throwing shit at Kyrie Irving for doing what he's doing, what the fuck is some fucking jackass who's wearing a Kevin Garnett shirt doing throwing something at somebody? And don't give me again the bullshit of, oh, he was incensed. If that's going to get you riled up, if something like stepping on a logo in a disrespectful way is going to get somebody worked up to the to the, to the point where they're going to be throwing a something, throwing something at somebody. I don't want that motherfucker walking around the streets. I don't want him around kids and I don't want him in civilized society for about five fucking years. Now, how about that? If, if that gets you so upset, if that gets you so upset and, and, and angry that you do some fucking shit like that, what the fuck are you doing walking the streets? How in the hell can we call this a civilized society if you have someone like that walking the street who would that easily, um, uh, that easily poked to do something as nutty, as crazy, as vulgar, as rude, as stupid as that. Throw that motherfucker in the jail, general pop, or prison for five years and see what he does coming out of it. And people are like, well, you know, he was arrested and, you know, he could face, uh, he could face 10 years in prison and this, that, and the other. And I don't know about that. Fuck it. Throw away the key. I don't give a fuck. Fuck him. Some stupid ass shit like that gonna be throwing a water bottle at somebody and then we have these other idiots talking about well you did step on the logo so where do, where do we go here where do we go here when the um when the lakers for instance if they win game six and they go back to game seven and it's at phoenix if wesley matthews hits a three-pointer and how he pulls out the arrow and does that so that um warranted someone getting so upset that they throw something at somebody if the way the Le- LeBron clowned Jay Crowder at the end of Game Four would it have been justified and right for um, a fan in in Phoenix to throw something at LeBron James because LeBron James disrespected Jay Crowder, another human being like that, which in turn disrespected and angered that fan because he is a fan of the Phoenix Suns and he is a fan of uh, Jay Crowder. Where where do we stop here? Where where is it? Where where do we stop between? Okay, that was wrong, 100%, no excuses, and, well, what he did was wrong, but should, should Trey Young have gotten spin on because he told the New York Knicks to shush? Should that have happened? Oh, I guess spinning on someone is wrong, but what happened if someone threw a water bottle at him? Or what happened if someone threw popcorn at him? Would that have been acceptable? I mean, after all, it's just popcorn, right? After all, it's just a water bottle, right? I mean, these are big, strong athletes. That uh, shouldn't hurt them. That shouldn't do anything to them, right? You know, I guess you have to realize that if you do that, if you go ahead and you shush somebody, if you go ahead and you show disrespect, if you go ahead and you try to incite somebody, that some shit like that is going to happen. Right? Right? I bet you those are the same stupid motherfuckers who are sitting there talking about January 6th. Hey, don't break, don't, don't blame the guy that used to be the president of, of the United States in, in name only. Don't blame him. He didn't go, he didn't tell people to uh, run to the Capitol and tear it down. Can't blame him. Don't go there, right? If you're going to go ahead and say, uh, th- those are the same people who are saying, well, you know, Kyrie, you know, stomping on the uh, logo, something like that was bound to happen if you do something like that. <laughs> Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Going to finish off with the Los Angeles Lakers. They're in trouble if uh, AD can't play. And the lack of conviction the lack of confidence that I see in the Lakers shooting the basketball and doing anything. I see Cal Kuzma being hesitant, at least last night when they were getting their asses whooped. I see Cal Kuzma being hesitant. I see Dennis Schroeder being very hesitant. And 
for those who are going to sit back and just say, well, you know, LeBron will just turn it on. He'll just give an epic performance in game six and seven and everything will be fine. Man, a compromised LeBron James, as far as injury is concerned in age and mileage uh, to his NBA career, how many game six Boston uh, Eastern Conference final performances does he have left? How many awesome Damian Lillard type godlike performances does LeBron James have left? You know, there's going to come a time that LeBron's going to say, okay, time to get serious and let me go into God mode and put this uh, game away and let me impose my will. There is going to come a time where he's going to uh, look for that and it's not going to be there. He's going to look to stick that key into the ignition and that, that motor is not going to start up. That engine is not going to start running. Are we speaking about this happening now? As I mentioned before, in part also because of the injury to his ankle. I think it's foolish for those who just feel that, okay, LeBron will just be LeBron and we'll just go ahead and he'll just, you know, pull us out of the fire. No big deal. He'll just carry us. I don't think LeBron is capable of carrying teams on his back anymore. I, I really don't. He might be able to do it for a quarter. He might be able to do it for a half. But if you're expecting LeBron James to carry the Los Angeles Lakers, when you have Dennis Schroeder showing no confidence, when you're having Kyle Kuzma show no confidence, when you're not having any type of outside shooting at all, when you're having Kyle, uh, uh, Alex Caruso getting burnt, like burnt toast by Devin Booker, when you have the bigs for LA getting dominated or getting worked by DeAndre Ayton, those things can't just all of a sudden become mirages and become non-factors because LeBron says, okay, time for me to go into LeBron mode. Not going to happen. And I don't think it's going to happen for an entire game, let alone two. It might happen for now. If the Lakers are in a ball game, game six, three or four point game with seven, six minutes to go into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think LeBron can give you those spurts where he can take over the game. But ask him to do that for an extended amount of time, which is the entire game or 38 minutes or game multiple games. Don't think that's happening anymore. I really don't. So let me see what else did we miss here. Oh, Damian Lillard. <laughs> Performance of the age. It's 55 points. I tweeted that after a hard-fought battle, the Portland Trailblazers beat Damian Lillard 147 and 140. And look, and there were some good stops at the end on defense. McCullum hit a pretty... Uh, important left baseline fall away three-pointer in the corner to cut it to a one-point lead, which gave Lillard the opportunity to sink the three-pointer that would send the game into overtime. Robert Covington's defense on Jokic near the end of the game was pretty good, but uh, the uh, supporting cast for Damian Lillard let them down. The Portland Trail Damian Lillards, uh, they just they let them down. C.J. McCollum wasn't good. Robert Covington wasn't good. Carmelo Anthony wasn't good. And it seemed like they shrunk as the overtime. It, it seemed like as Dollar Dame's play elevated, the other players for the Trailblazers just just shrunk even more. Now, I'm not blaming Damian Lillard on that. He had to do what he had to do. But I think Lillard was just so great that it almost like he intimidated his other his other teammates. That all of a sudden now, if you see Damian Lillard hit like three or four step back, unbelievable threes from 35 feet, and he passes you the ball, you're like, uh, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to top that? How am I even supposed to get close to that? So I think at that moment, 
that the Trailblazers weren't able to live up to the moment to make a play. And multiple times down the stretch after Michael Porter Jr. hit that three in the left uh, corner to uh, give Portland a 143-140 lead that, uh, that, excuse me, to give Denver a 143-140 lead that, uh, that uh, Portland had many opportunities to win the game. But uh, C.J. McCollum stepping out of bounds, Robert Covington missing a dunk was embarrassing, and it wasn't good, and it wasn't good at all. So we have the Trailblazers going back home down 3-2. to two. And uh, as I always say on my podcast, we'll see what happens. All right, I am done. Who do I want to talk about Naomi Osaka? Real quickly, just a... Um, just a drive-through version of it. Um, mental illness is not a joke. It's not something that should be laughed at, not even something that should be criticized. My only deal with Naomi is that, hey, look, um, if you're having difficulties with this and you know the deal in terms of when you go to these Grand Slams that you have to talk to the media, you should have made your thoughts and opinions or you should have made your decision about not playing a little bit sooner. That, that's my only thing. But, uh, you know, I wish her the best. But, uh, you know, you can't, even if you're the best player in the world, you, you can't, uh, you know, you're not at that level yet where you can dictate. You ain't you ain't Serena Williams. You ain't Serena just yet. I don't even think Serena could get away with that. So, you know, get the help that you deserve. She's great for the sport. She's a very attractive, thoughtful, pleasant uh, young lady. But uh, there's some shit going on with her that uh, needs to be uh, straightened out if she wants to be the face of tennis. I thought she showed real character and real gumption and real growth and real maturity and real understanding when, um, you know, she was fighting for Black Lives Matter and some of the things that she was doing for racial justice and equality. I thought that she was fantastic. And I thought that she had turned the corner, to use that cliche in terms of what she could be as being the face of women's tennis but you know i think naomi likes making money i think she likes the perks that being that's uh comes with being an awesome awesome tennis player and being the greatest female tennis player walking this earth i think she loved the perks that come with that i think she loved the perks the fact that she's attractive the thing the, 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 that she's thoughtful and she's intelligent and everything that people gravitate to her, that, you know, sponsors and everything. She makes a boatload of money. She has a lot of followings on social media. I think she likes all that stuff. I think she likes the easy stuff. But when it comes to the more difficult stuff, um, I don't know if she's as strong as she should be, even with the fact that, you know, there's some mental health issues that need to be addressed. So that's my thing for her. But you know what? Good, good luck to her. The tennis game needs her because Serena cannot play forever. And I mentioned before, she has the intelligence, she has the game, and she has the beauty, and she has the backstory to uh, elevate women's tennis. Now, let's just have her work on some other things. She's still young enough to uh, overcome some of the uh, some of the things that she's going through right now. And when she does mentally get those things under control or get those things resolved, that's going to make her an even more dominant and, greatest, and greater tennis player than she is right now. All right, so that's my thing on that. Wendell's World and Sports. I want to thank you very much for listening to this abbreviated podcast. I will be back next week to talk about anything and everything else that's happening in the world of sports. Be good, be strong, be fantastic, be everything that you need to be, and a little bit more. 
I cannot wait to see the wonderful and beautiful and fabulous and fantastic and magnificent and awesome Sydney Davis. Can't wait to see my favorite family outside of mine, the Davis family and my closer than brother, Bikel Davis. And Lord have mercy, it's been too long. I cannot wait to see my mom. This is something that, uh, yeah, this is something I'm definitely, definitely going to treasure. All right, be good. Peace. Music. <laughs>